Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the All Might Podcast. This is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam Sims over at the Back Patio Network. And we are here to talk about two more episodes of My Hero Academia. This week, we're uh, we're going to be discussing in very detailed discussion on episodes 51 and 52. So if you haven't watched those two episodes, now would be the time to do so. Absolutely, yeah. If you have not checked those out, do so before listening, because we are about to get really deep in some spoilers here. Definitely. Let's just jump right in. Episode 51 was kind of neat. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't read the manga until much later. So I kind of thought that parts of it were going to be pretty off book. Um, Like it, there was part of it that I thought maybe this, it felt like filler material. It definitely Um, could have been. It could have been. However, I will say this, they did spin it um, in such a way come the end of episode 51 that it definitely didn't smack of spoiler anymore, or not spoiler, of spiller, of, man, I can't even speak, of filler, filler anymore. (laughs) Uh, So they did a good job of doing something that was light and doesn't really do much on on the surface of progressing the narrative at all, but then totally making it something that does at the very end um, with a really interesting emotional beat. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things where like it kind of felt like it could have been a filler, but the fact that they're like opening up these uh, introspection into all of these different characters. I mean, we got to see them at a very personal level. So that was kind of neat. You know what I mean? Like, even if it was filler, it was fun filler. But it sounds like this was pretty much page for page in the manga, too. Yes. All of this was really? inside of the manga. The 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 only thing in these... Uh, yeah, all this stuff is totally on book. I mean, obviously, the show um, gets into a little bit more detail than, you know, a single panel of well, sure. some of these rooms can can possibly do. But uh, yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing off book in episode 51 or 52 that I can recall. Huh. Very cool. So the we start episode 51 off outside of this dorm room. Now, we, we kind of ended last week's episode with this revelation with Aizawa and and All Might traveling around and telling folks that they're going to have all the UA students live in a dormitory. Kind of not is it if it's not on campus i mean they say it's like five minutes from campus but it's real real close regardless yeah i mean i think the way that they made it sound was that it was like five minutes within any of the main buildings on campus and it sounds like the ua campus is kind of big anyways it could be um and episode 51 picks up uh kind of retreads a little bit of where we ended off episode 50 with all might kind of lying prostrate before um mrs midoriya and just, you know, saying he'll take care of her son and her telling him, you know, don't lay your life down for him. You know, he's your your life is the reason why he is who he is. And uh, so you get a little bit more of that exchange, although Midoriya does tell his mom that he definitely won't make her worry. And I was like, man, you can't make promises like that. I mean, yeah. it totally had me thinking about the line that Dobby said when they were uh, getting ready to assault them at the uh, summer camp where he said something along the lines of, it's time to remind them that their peace rests in our hands. I'm like, you, you can't control, you know, what it is that can make your mother worry. I mean, listen, I'm not a super powered being whose life is in peril all the time. And my mom worries plenty about me. So <laughs> I don't know how he could make this uh, statement where he's like, don't worry, I definitely won't make you worry. Yeah, yeah. And, and of all people, like Midoriya definitely cannot be the person making that statement because he's the one that's nosing around in everybody's business when he shouldn't be to begin with. So That's true, too. Uh, I did think it was kind of funny, though, because All Might made a mention that, uh, I guess, Miss Midoriya reminds him of uh, Nana Shimura, and Midoriya is like, well, why is that? And he goes, ah, it's her hairstyle. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a weird comparison point. I think it was almost like Midoriya was excited to hear how his mom was like, 
you know, All Might's predecessor, and he was definitely expecting something besides, oh, their hair are, you know, their hairstyles are the same. Yeah, that was funny. That kind of that kind of cracked me up. Uh, but this we, was we, also a really funny line too, where Midori's like, "So I left home and started my new life," and I'm like, "Dude, you're 13. Like, let's <laughs> let's pump the brakes a little bit." <laughs> I mean, but I guess we're, to talk, a we're still talking about a freshman in high school. Yeah, but to him, that is like life, I guess. You know, when you've only been around for 13 years, it's you have such a minuscule view of the world. You know. Uh, I did get a, a kick out of the recap, though, that shows, like, I, I guess it takes place right after this, and it's, like, this quick recap of all these different heroes that are attending UA, and they're, some of them are, like, going to the dorms together, and then some of them are on their own, uh, and I noticed that Jiro's earphones that she has, like, her ear jacks, she has plugged in directly to her iPod, Yeah, I'm like, wow, that's convenient. Can you imagine never having to buy another set of headphones? I have the exact same note. I just have Jiro wouldn't be phased by the new iPhones and their lack of headphone jacks. <laughs> she don't need no stinking headphone jack. She is a headphone jack. Right. But I don't know if there wasn't a headphone jack and she doesn't have Bluetooth. That would kind of suck for her, I guess. Right. I think she could still, she stabs her ear jacks into stuff that don't have uh, headphone jacks all the time. Yeah, but that's normally like. she just poke her phone and be good. Yeah, but then you'd have a massive hole in your phone. I, I don't know. Do the holes, do the holes stay? I thought they I, did. I, I mean. They, they have to stay, right? Yeah, they'd have to. I don't, her quirk doesn't fill up that hole. So, like, if she had an iPhone and she just popped a hole in it, it's like you're gonna mess something up in there. That's you fair. know what I mean? That's fair. Uh, I also like too in these shots that everybody is moving towards the school except for Ida, who is already sitting in his class uh, in the classroom at his desk. So that's our class rep for you, man. He's just yeah. sitting there patiently waiting on everybody to get here. Yeah, Ida, Ida is something else, man. They they kind of rag on him a lot this episode, actually, I feel like. There were several times where people made the comments of like, dude, you never chill out, do you? I also had this note um, where, you know, they're talking about moving into these new, these new dorm rooms. And my this is like the third note for this episode for me is, question is, does Midoriya move all of his All Might stuff into the new dorm? <laughs> and we have that answered relatively quickly, quickly in this episode. But a couple other things uh, take place before we get there so it's explained that like these dorms aren't just to this is uh nezu i think is talking now and um he's kind of doing some exposition as the students are traveling that the dorms aren't just to ensure the safety of the students but also to address this leak because he's like i mean it it could be a student so he's he's at least hip to that possibility yeah and i don't really know what keeping them in a dorm is going to do i mean it, it depending on how they're communicating with the villains i guess then maybe it would be easy for him to catch it. I mean, they'll have eyes on students at all times now, I suppose, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I just think it's tighter. Like, it gives them more of a, a, an ability to monitor everything. But at the same time, it also feels like it gives whoever the traitor is more time to spy on everybody else. Like, not That's only too. do they have access to, you know, the UA schedule, all of the teachers, the whole nine yards, but now they also have personal access to all of the other students. So I don't know. I think I guess it goes hand in hand, right? Like it's a catch twenty two there. They all get to this dorm room, and Aizawa is standing outside. And there's this quick little conversation where, like, of course, everybody's here because their parents gave them permission to stay in these dorm rooms. But the two people that had uh, a somewhat difficult uh, time, possibly, kind of getting uh, permission, were the two that were knocked out by the gas. So uh, Jiro and Hagakure. But J- Jiro had. They had like already made up her mind. Maybe this yeah. discussion was more difficult off screen, but they kind of implied that those two, because they had uh, been hospitalized after the last attack, 
that they their parents took more convincing. But I didn't get that sense from Jiro's parents when we watched that scene unfold. Yeah, I had the same note that, you know, they made a mention of having to convince her parents. And I was like, I don't really think there was much convincing. I mean, she pretty much walked in the room and was like, Dad, shut up, I'm going. <laughs> so unless there was just a bunch of stuff, back background scenes that we didn't see, uh, but it didn't feel like... It didn't feel like they had too much convincing there. And yeah. I, I really like what is happening here, too, with Aizawa, because he's kind of having some internal monologues with this whole dorm room situation as well. And someone makes the mention that they're really surprised that you know they're, the students are allowed to move in as easily as they are because the media has been so, like, I guess, critical of all of the teachers. And Aizawa is like, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't have to rehire anybody or, or hire new teachers. I guess it was easier to just keep the same faculty on staff. So I guess it, there must have been some faculty meetings where Nezu was like, yep, going to fire all of you, except not. Yeah, in the manga, Aizawa says that he suspects that rather than like getting new teachers in there and having to you know shake things up too much, that they were just like, well, we just have this over you now, almost like as collateral or, you know, the stick in the dark. Um, so, and I guess that makes some sense. I'm glad they didn't dismiss Aizawa because I would have quit this podcast in a heartbeat. You better believe it. <laughs> um, he is still the reigning champ in teachers for your mind, huh? Oh, not just in teachers. In, in all things, my hero, Aizawa is the best. That's fair. So Aizawa goes on to continue. He's like, all right, before we go in and, and get the rundown of these dorm rooms, there is something that I have to address. And he calls out uh, the five students who went off to save Bakugo. And he's basically like, if it weren't for the fact that All Might was, was uh, like retired right after this, I would have expelled all of you except for Bakugo, Jiro, and Hagakure. Well, and I think he's um, talking about the entire class, too. Because he's like, look, fact of the matter is, all of you were aware that they were doing this and none of you tried to stop them. Well, Bakugo gets accepted because he was the victim in this particular case. And then Jiro and Hagakure were knocked out in the hospital, so they so didn't they know anything. Right, they couldn't stop him. But the rest of the class could have. And they were, because yeah. he, he says something like, based off of your reactions, I'm guessing all of you knew about this as well, so you should be expelled too. Right, yeah. I mean, he's like, all of you would be gone. Um, and it's going to take some some time for them to kind of regain trust. But then he's just like, all right, that's it. Let's go. Let's go move in. Yeah, um, I think he just says like, all right, well, enjoy dorm life and walks off like super nonchalant. But I mean, that's such an Aizawa thing to do. Just be super straight to the point and fact of the matter and then just move on with life. Yeah, and I love the thing that takes place next. In fact, it's it's maybe my favorite moment of this entire episode. Um, I, I don't know. We, it was we a get a really cool moment. character moment with Bakugo, I think. It was weird. I, just, I There are so many questions I have about this moment here. Really? Yeah, it just seems so, every single bit of it felt out of place to me. So do you mind if I break down the scene? Yeah, go ahead. So w right after Aizawa walks off, all of the kids are standing around. Bakugo just grabs Kaminari and like pulls him out of distance from all of the other students behind this bush. And then like, I don't know if he beats him up or what, but we see Kaminari's electricity go off. And then he comes back like dumb, you know, because his brain's been fried. And he says something like, play dumb for him. And then he hands Kirishima like a buttload of cash and even Kirishima is just like dude did you just stick him up for cash and he goes no it's my cash like just you know now you can't say that I owe you anything and he walks off and, and so I'm sitting here and I'm like okay did, did he take Kaminari's cash because that's not cool first of all but second of all why Kaminari out of all of the people there you know what I mean like does he know something about Kaminari that we don't know yes do you want me to tell you what it is yeah it's super simple. So he takes Kaminari. This is what I think happens. So he t grabs Kaminari, takes him behind the bush, doesn't beat him up, but threatens to do so if he doesn't go ahead and just shock, 
you know, into the air, 1.3 million volts, or whatever it is that makes him an idiot. Uh, and that turns him into a laughing stock. And that always gets a rise out of the, out of the students. So you it's, think it was it's just comedic a relief. Not a distraction. I don't think he took money from uh, Kaminari at all. I think he was like, I think Bakugo was like, all right, this is a heavy moment. Got to lighten this up. And Aizawa even makes um, kind of a, a reference to this shortly after these scenes unfold. But I think Bakugo grabs Kaminari behind that bush. is like, if you don't, you know, make yourself a complete moron right now and stumble back towards the classmates, I'm, I'm going to blast you in the face. And Kaminari does it because he's scared of Bakugo. Uh, and then that lightens the mood up. I couldn't figure it out initially, but I think he just made him go huh. dumb to lighten things up. And then yeah, I, I think, think that right after this happens, Jiro just starts like busting out into laughter, like all the other kids do. And you're right. Even Aizawa is just totally cool with it. Like it was not a big deal at all. Yeah. I think Aizawa says something like, you know, a little levity is a good thing right now. Yeah. And I do think that it was Bakugo's money. I don't, I certainly don't think he ripped it off of Kaminari. I think that he's, he doesn't like to be indebted to anybody. Sure. sure I get that. Um, so for even even to his bestie, his BFF, you know, Kirishima, he's just like, hey, man, we can't have this between us. I can't feel like I owe you. I mean, he's he's still probably a little bashful or not quite resentful, but I, I still don't think he just loves the idea that he had to be rescued and that he was rescued at all. Yeah, I mean, um, even going back a couple of seasons, he would get super upset whenever someone had mentioned the slime monster. So that doesn't surprised me i guess i don't know I, the only thing i could think of was that maybe he was using this as a distraction so nobody else saw him give kirishima the money like he didn't want people to see that he was affectionate towards kirishima in some way i don't know yeah. i think that could work too i think it's it's there's those two things aren't mutually exclusive they both happened at the same time but you you could be right that it was a distraction tactic i wasn't really paying attention to if anybody else noticed him paying off kirishima or not yeah. but i really like that i just like either either way i mean just the fact that he you know, lighten things up and cause the laugh after really everybody just got chastised and threatened to get booted. Um, and then, you know, even, even the scales a little bit with his friend. I think that that, I thought it was a really good character moment for Bakugo. Yeah, it was definitely something that's for sure. Um, so right after we see this, the, all of the kids go into the dorm rooms and they're really just kind of getting like a quick tour of the dorms. And Ochako is absolutely freaking out because of how big yeah. they are. I mean, she's like this, this one room is literally the size of my house. And I don't know that poor girl. It was, it was so funny to see her reacting the way that she was. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a really good bit and it comes into play like twice first in this little like living area. And then another time when they're like in Momo's room and yeah. she, she makes a comment. It's that was it was really funny. It was a very funny visual gag of her just like falling over stiff as a board and talking about how it's like a mansion in here. Even though in this one scene, Momo's just like, I mean, we have closets this big at my house. You know? <laughs> yeah. I always forget that Momo's rich. Like, and I think even the other kids make a mention of that later on. But when they did, I did too. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. She's rich. Yeah, I knew too that like on the they start on the first floor and it's the common areas. And as I was like, all right, there are laundry rooms and bathrooms down here, and it's just common areas. And I knew Mineta was going to have something to say about it. As I was oh, shuts yeah. him down, but Mineta's like, did I hear that right? Laundry rooms in the common area. He's <laughs> like, such he was a creep already, in this episode. Yeah, he was already uh, getting ready to do some uh, some panty sniffing. I would bet like uh, like Oolong from Dragon Ball. Absolutely, yeah, he is an Oolong character. I don't think I'd even put the two and two together, but yeah, he totally is Oolong. So then they kind of uh, fast forward a little bit. They're given like a day. I was always like, anything that you sent here to be moved in, it's, you know, it's already in your de designated rooms. There are signed rooms. Um, and then they spend the rest of that time 
just kind of getting um, packed in. And this is when uh, Mina gets the idea to go around and just kind of inspect everybody's room and see how their rooms are set up. Uh, and it turns into, it ends up evolving into more of a contest than I think it was intended to be at the beginning. Um, well, yeah, and I think really the only reason it got turned into a contest is because Mineta was a little upset that nobody wanted to see his room. So he turns it around and he's like, well, if you guys wanted to see all of the boys' rooms, then we get to see all the girls' rooms too. Yeah, see, I think it's not about them not wanting to see his room. I think it's about him wanting to see theirs. Oh, absolutely. He didn't didn't have the opportunity to until he was like, I think he even is just like, I just totally outsmarted them that, you know, I I make it sound like this big group, group effort. But uh, yeah, he he just really wanted to, uh, to get inside of the girls' rooms. It's probably the only time he's ever going to see the inside of any of them, but (laughs) Uh, they they go around. I was going to say, do you want to do a quick breakdown of the rooms real quick? Yeah, yeah, and um, so we, we start with Midoriya's, of course, um, and Midoriya's flipping out because just like I had kind of suspected, all of his boxes are full of All Might gear, so they open the door to his room, and it's just like his room back at home. He's got an All Might uh, rug and All Might action figures and posters everywhere, and they're just like, it's it's totally a fanboy room. I think they say an otaku room in the, uh, in the subtitled version, too. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing for poor... Uh, Poor uh, Midoriya. I'm honestly surprised that he's all that embarrassed of it, only because it's not like he doesn't fawn over All Might every time he's around anyways. I'm shocked that he that he brought this stuff here. I mean... I, oh, I'm not. Not at this point. I mean... I am. <laughs> Midoriya, you like... you have to know people are going to see it. Like, he's a fool if he thought that nobody was ever going to see inside of his room, but he acts like completely shocked and embarrassed when when they're like, well, we want to look at your room first. And he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The like, way they draw him was, was great. Happen? He was so embarrassed. Yeah. So he's thoroughly embarrassed, and so too is the next guy, Tokoyami. Um, yeah, in fact, Hagakuri and Mina have to force him out of the way for them to go and see his room. Yeah, and I kind of, I like his room um, for kind of a maybe a strange reason, but his room is, it's like completely dark. He's got like, those eclipse curtains over the windows overlooking the balcony and he's got black lights on and skulls and black it decor. Felt very, like a cultist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or just very goth. I mean, everything goth, was yeah. dark. Um, but I, I, I mean, I thought of it like this, like, I don't know that we've seen Tokoyami just like really clicking with anybody else in one a, like being chums. With I don't somebody know. Him, else. And, him and Shoji are like best friends. I thought, I mean, they are, I think we've seen that recently, and but they were kind of just paired together randomly by drawing for that contest, weren't they? Or that little uh, yeah, field but thing? Yeah, I, but I kind of felt like for some reason they were always friends. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe because they stand close to each other. Like, if you see all of the students at once, I feel like Shoji and Tokuyami are always right next to each other. Okay. So that could I, just I be just, a large assumption on my side. It could be, or, or maybe I just hadn't been paying attention, because I, I kind of thought that maybe he has it dark just so that he could always, if he wanted to, you know conjure up the um, dark shadow and, and have company in a conversation if he wanted to. That's what I thought. Maybe. Well, it is kind of weird to think about, though, because it, if I remember correctly, when it's dark like that, he can't control dark shadow as well. So it's odd that his room would be so dark. Like, it didn't look like he had a whole lot of lights, period. You would think he would want right. some sort of, like, emergency light system just in case, you know? Yeah, it did feel risky. I'll, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, um, what he needs to have is Ayoyama right next door because whenever they go into his room, it's literally nothing but sparkles, like yes. disco ball sparkling, everything, and everyone is like, "Oh my gosh!" And he just goes, "Yeah, my room is magnificent." <laughs> He's got mirrors everywhere so he can look at himself. And that, a maybe giant that's disco why. Ball. 
that's why Tokiyami is so comfortable not having any lights in his room. Like, if Dark Shadow ever attacks, he just has to pop next door into Aoyama's and everything's handled. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because they do share a wall. Um, then the only other room on this floor is Mineta's, and Mineta is, like, trying to like convince everybody he's like come on in i've got something awesome to show you and, and it's so creepy super creepy and he's like yeah. wagging his finger with the door cracked and nobody makes him it takes a single step in his direction what do you think his room is like though what do you I, what do you think he wanted to show them what's the awesome thing that he wanted to show them i have no idea because if you remember last episode i i thought Mineta was the one that was going to win this contest i figured he would have like the coolest room and I was really excited to see what that would mean for him. And we didn't even get to see his room. So I don't know. I, I, w- I imagine it's probably just a bunch of Mount Lady stuff. That's what, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I, why, why would he be excited to be like, come and see my full-sized wall posters of Mount Lady in provocative positions? You know, I, why would he be like, girls, come and check this out as if they were, that was going to score him any kind of points with them? I, I think Mineta, like, 100% misunderstands women and females in general. And I think he was just excited at the the idea that there could be another female in his room. Or not another, yeah. I mean, uh, just a female in his room that's real. Um, See, I, th- I thought that, too, until he said, I've got something awesome to show you. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, there's no telling what that awesome thing might be. I know this sounds really weird, and I, I don't know why I think this. I, like, I have nothing to back this up. But I totally feel like he would be a really awesome DJ. Like I could see him having like a <laughs> mixing board and like he, you know, people walk in and he's just got this really cool DJ set up. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know why I think that. That was just kind of what came to mind. <laughs> well, maybe hit us up on Twitter if you're listening and what you think the, the, the something awesome is that Mineta wants to show him or what you think his room looks like. Um, we don't get to see it. It's It's shrouded in mystery and creepiness and... Dear God, Tokoyami, please never take one of those black light candles into that room. Lordy, lordy, <laughs> that would be awful. Um, but then we move on, uh, and we see Ojiro's room, and he, he just has like an Ikea room. It's very plain, very simple. I mean, it, it looks like something if you were walking through Ikea, you would see this set up similarly. I mean, nothing outstanding, nothing I, I feel bad ordinary. for Ojiro, honestly. Like, he has had literally no show time at all. I forgot his name. In my notes, I just had the tail guy has a bland room. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and he feels, he's kind of down about it. He's like, Oh, you know, I, I wish if you don't have anything nice to say about my plain room is what he says. Yeah. But I mean, it's totally fine. There's nothing, there's nothing negative to say about it. It's just is what it is. And then they move on to Ida's uh, and Ida's got like a million books. His room, his, the walls of the room are lined with books and then glasses um, which people are like, why in the world do you have so many glasses? And he just exclaims that it's because he expected them to be destroyed in combat. So he has like several shelves of the exact same pair of glasses that he's always wearing in there. Yeah. I really expected his room to be full of trophies. Like for some reason I assumed he was on track and he always got first place. So he, oh, yeah. yeah, in my head I was like, why, why does he not have any trophies around? Um, then we move into Kaminari's and they just describe his as gaudy. It's just like got a little bit of everything. There's no cohesive theme to his room. It's just like, this is all the stuff that I had that was mine at my mom and dad's house. And now it's all in here. Right. Uh, so he's just, he's, he's eclectic. His room is very, um, very eclectic. Uh, and then you have Coda's room who, uh, has a bunny rabbit as a pet in his room. And the girls are totally fawning over that. Yeah. And totally called that one. I like, I was thinking he might have some sort of animal in there, but once I saw it, I kind of, second question like second guess myself because i'm like what if he doesn't have 
pets. You know what I mean? Like, what if they're like slaves to him because he controls <laughs> them when he talks to them? So this poor rabbit may want nothing to do with him. And he's like, no, you're mine. <laughs> okay, curveball theory. What if Coda is the traitor? Oh, that would be strange. I don't, like, what I if would... there was, because he could just command the animals to carry messages. Who's going to stop a squirrel? Yeah, but I mean, that means that the villains would have to have somebody that can talk to squirrels. Not if right? they're carrying like a tiny little scroll on oh, their that's foot true. or something. That's true. But then they would get caught. See, it would be better if they had someone that could communicate with animals too. I like that theory. That's interesting. That would be nuts. Because you would never expect the one guy that never talks to be the traitor. Right. And maybe he's like super verbose and he's just quiet to throw everybody off of his trail. Who knows? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. That just came to me just now. I don't have that in my notes, but I was like, man, he, he could be really effective, and he always has an animal companion on hand. Um, but anyway, um, we we keep moving through the dorm rooms. They, they ask where Bakugo is, but Bakugo, Bakugo's, and he's just like, this is lame, and I'm going to sleep. Uh, <laughs> so he doesn't participate. I wonder what so his room get, looked like. It had to have been, it had to been pretty cool, I bet. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really think about it. I, I didn't think that he would have like a, per, like a really strong theme. Um, I bet it would be messy. I would think that his room would be a mess. Yeah, I bet he's into sports. Like, if there's a sports version in My Hero, like whatever sports they play, I could see him being the guy that's, like, super dedicated to a team or two. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Because I was going to say, there are definitely sports in this world because um, Kirishima's room has got, like, a punching bag in there. Definitely, yeah. No, I just mean, like, I bet he would be, like, a Red Sox fan. You know what I mean? Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just mean, like, I could see him being, like, a Red Sox fan. Right. So uh, Kirishima's room is next. He's got a punching bag. Um, and one of the girls is like, this looks like it would rank around second for the room you'd least want your boyfriend to have. Yeah, Haga Curry actually says in the English version, she just says, if I found out my boyfriend had a room like this, I'd dump him. <laughs> and I was like, dang. Like, out of all the rooms, I actually liked his the most. His oh, was the really? Coolest. Yeah. His okay, was my that favorite. Was gonna be, that was going to be a question I would ask later. So um, hold on to your why, and we'll, we'll have a okay. discussion in just a second. Sure. Um, so then we get to see Shoji's, and he turns out to be a minimalist. He just has like a bed pallet and a very small like kneeling desk, and that's it, like nothing else. Yeah, and I love it too because Mineta is like picking up his bed, and he's he makes a comment like, "Oh man, the minimalist, the minimalist are always the creepy pervy ones." <laughs> yeah, which I thought was strange. And like, I don't have a bunch of stuff. I'm not terribly, I'm not super pervy, but I don't know. Maybe I took a little bit too much offense to that. <laughs> I read into that too much. Um, then we get Saro's room, and he's got what they describe as like um, an Asian uh, scheme. So he's got like a hammock, um, and it's a bunch of like geometric patterns. I thought it looked kind of native, uh, like Native American, with warm colors. Uh, yeah, but very, very comfy looking room. I've got in my notes, uh, his room was very feng shui. I don't even know what that is, so I'm gonna have to take your word on that one. I, I mean, I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell you what, <laughs> like if he if his room was organized in a very feng shui way or not. Um, then we move on to Todoroki's, and all the girls are excited about seeing Todoroki's room for a bunch of different reasons. Um, like Momo is just because he's super capable, and Mina's because he's the best looking, and Hagakure is just because he's the coolest. Um, so anyway, it's it's uh, very Japanese inspired. So it, it looks very much like his house. Like we've seen the inside of his house a few times, um, and it kind of gives that like the word I keep thinking of when I see the inside of his house is like a dojo. Like if you watch like a ancient like a Japanese samurai movie, that kind of style with the sliding doors with like the paper in the window panes kind of look. Oh, definitely. The I mat, mean, in the, the dub- floors. 
definitely in the dub version they even say wow your room's very japanese like they yeah. just they hang a lantern on it uh i did think it was interesting though that he has like different floor mats and everything so they he like he completely remodeled his room and Manetta's like dude how did you remodel your room like we've only been here for a day and he just just gives him this deadpan stare and says really hard work yeah <laughs> okay todoroki <laughs> Then we get to see Sato's, and um, his is, you know, an average-looking room, except for the fact that he's got an easy-bake oven in there, um, and he had left a uh, a cake baking in there, and that wins over all of the ladies. I mean, everybody gets a piece of cake, but the girls are, like, falling over themselves because of how delicious this cake is. Yeah, and it looked pretty good. I mean, I would have taken a piece. Then you get Jiro's, who looks just like a music studio. There's like a full drum set, several different types of guitars, an amp in the middle of the floor where most people had like a desk, a bunch of headphones. It's even got like um, like a checker pattern um, and uh, some some band posters and stuff. Yeah, um, her room was cool. really cool. I liked it. It was neat. And, and she's got like 15 or 20 different instruments in there. I mean, that's way too many. She probably has like three or four instruments. Uh, yeah. But she even says that she can play most of them, which I thought was kind of cool was cool and she gets chastised for being not very ladylike but then she just earjacks the two guys that say that i think it's <laughs> yeah. uh aoyama and kaminari is that who it was okay yeah yeah it was it was good it was a good scene there uh then you get hagakure's who has the girliest room ever i mean it's like pink everything with big teddy bears and flowers and uh stuffed animals and uh, it it was a headache to look at um in the in the anime in the manga it's not so bad because it's black and white it's hard to tell how girly it actually is but it's over the top girly yeah like it, it's a headache waiting to happen i can't imagine how bright that room is with the door closed with all that pink yeah. reflecting everything yeah and then of course this is the room that Mineta decides to get gross in so he like gets close to what i think is like a dresser um and starts like fanning some of the air towards his nostril like he's trying yeah, like to get a whiff of something yeah yeah and he just says plus ultra in the in this whisper and it's the <laughs> creepiest thing ever it was of course, it was so she awful. like explodes about it but it, it i was like oh man he's so gross i'm surprised Ida wasn't jumping all over him for that you know what i mean me too but hagakari takes care of her own business and um and, and gives him gives him a hard time then we get uh mina's room which has pinks as well, but it's offset by a bunch of black. Um, so there's a lot of like patterning at stripes and polka dots. And she's very impressed with how cute her room is, but uh, she doesn't really get that many comments. Um, and then Ochako's room is also fairly standard. Um, she's got like a, you know, a little rotating fan plugged in. And I mean, not quite the Ikea kind of clean and, and standard that we saw in Ojiro's, but something relatively close to it. Yeah, and there's a funny scene between, I think it's Saro and Tokoyami in her room where Saro is talking to him and he's like, man, don't you, don't you feel kind of weird like being in all of these you know, females' rooms? Like it kind of feels weird that we're even in here. And Tokoyami just says, yes, forbidden gardens. Forbidden garden, that's right. <laughs> uh, and then this is, uh, there, there's this brief shot um, and I, I noticed it more maybe in the manga than I did in the um, in the anime, but... I didn't notice, but did you notice that apparently after the visit to Hagakure's room that Saro just wrapped uh, Mineta up in his tape and that's how he was being dragged around to the, all the other rooms? They just, yeah. uh, they, <laughs> they kind of put him, they literally wrap him up like a mummy and he, and so he can't move around and be pervy anymore. Right. I thought that was funny. Like they're just carrying him around from room to room. <laughs> yeah. 
And this is also when we get this quick second where, like, they're walking past Sue's room and she kind of peeks out from behind the doorway, like she's avoiding everybody. It was kind of kind of strange. It caught me off guard at first, and and then they follow it up here in a moment. Yeah, they said that she wasn't feeling well, but I I didn't didn't believe that from the beginning. Yeah, Um, like she's not feeling good. We don't want to bother her, and so they go into Momo's room. Which is super cramped. Like it looked like they opened the door and only two or three people could even fit in. Yeah, because she has. She said that she just took the bed, the stuff that she was using from home, and brought it into this room. And she's got this massive four-poster bed, and there's little room for anything else. She's got like a foot of space on any direction from this bed, so hers yeah. is super cramped. And I think she says something like, "Well, it all fits in my room at home, so I just figured it would all fit here." Yeah, she's she's so rich. She has no idea. No, and I think well, even even uh, Ochako makes a comment about it at this point too. Again, where she's just like, "Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even imagine." Yeah, so they they do a, a voting on who has the best room, and Sato wins, but they all say that it's just because that he had cake. But so you said um, you said that you liked Kaminari's room the most. No, Kirishima's. Kirishima's, Kirishima's. was awesome. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's perfect play setup because like you just wake up, you want to get your workout in, you hit the punching bag a couple minutes, and then I think you had some weights, you hit your weights, and then you shower and you're good to go. Like you don't have to worry about, you know, the fifteen minute drive to the gym or for him the five minute run or whatever, you know? And yeah, it makes see, so much sense for his quirk too. Like he gets up, he gets his workout in, he can practice his hardness quirk and he's good to go. Yeah, I I was a fan of Sarah's room. If I had to pick one that I was gonna stay in, I'm a very like warm color kind of guy and like not zero light, but low light. And he had like, uh, like bamboo blinds over the big windows so that, that would have to be completely covered up for me. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. and, and the hammock, the hammock really does it. I, I enjoy a good hammock. I would say so, that, uh, Tokoyami's room was a, was a hard second for me. Like I really liked his room a lot. See, I would go Shoji would be my number two. Okay. Okay, yep. that's interesting. I, I we, totally we almost went opposite with, directions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I could totally get by with with that little and be totally content. So, oh man, I couldn't. You should see my you should see my uh, my computer room. I've got all of the knickknacks laying around. Like I'm a <laughs> total pack rat. I keep everything. <laughs> so this is when we, you know, everybody is finishing up with the voting, and I think uh, Ochako's like, hey. Sue wants to talk to a handful of us outside, and it's the same five that kind of got chastised earlier on by Azawa for running off to go and save Bakugo. Um, so they go outside, and Sue has some confessions to make, or, or, or at least some feelings to express. So why don't you walk us through um, what, what, what she talked about here? Yeah, it was kind of interesting because, you know, I've always watched the episodes two or three times before we record. And so, like, I watch them by myself often, and then I'll watch them with Hannah, and then I watch them again before we record and take notes. So that way, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on the episodes by the time we start to record. And I, I don't know that I fully followed the scene the first few times because Sue feels like she's upset because she failed to stop them from going after Bakugo, even after making the comment in the hospital that they would be villains if they did go after Bakugo. And so it's kind of twofold, I guess. Like, she's upset that she wasn't able to stop them. She's also upset that she didn't know they did this because she makes the comment that she had no idea that they went after Bakugo until Aizawa brings it up. Right. And and then she's also upset because that essentially means that she called them villains. And I think that really kind of hurt her feelings. Like she doesn't want to see her friends that way, you know? And so that's largely why she didn't participate in the, the dormitory contest. Like she didn't feel like she could have fun with her friends because she failed them. Ultimately, it was a really like heartwarming moment with Sue. I felt like it was really sad, you know, like she just, she just wants to fit in with everybody and have a good time. And she's caught up on something that I felt like no one else was even thinking about. 
Yeah, she she was upset because she felt like she had hurt them. And then in that moment when Aizawa called them out, she felt hurt by them. And she was right. like, how do we reconcile this? And and there's sometimes there's no way to reconcile those things besides to have these difficult conversations. So more power to her for doing that um, because these things weren't going to fix themselves. I mean, she, she had to do something to address it so that she felt good, especially because it seems like um, these, these individuals uh, had no idea, you know, um, what she was feeling as a result of what she said and as a result of what they did. Um, so sure. it's a really good, you know, kind of um, strengthening moment. And, and just a, uh, I think Ochako says something like, you know, we, we, we were all this, this whole dorm room thing. This is the bit that, you know, f- could have felt like it was very fillerish, but it, its intent was to try to um, bring this group back together over something shared and something light um, and, and kind of break some ice and, and get them relating to one another anew. And uh, so we, we get that, um, that context here. And I think that that makes this, this entire episode much, much better than I think I thought of it before this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. This was the icing on the cake for me. Uh, and they make a comment. I, I can't remember who said it. It might've just been Midoriya internal monologue, which I feel like we get a lot anymore. Uh, and I'm fine with it, but there was a moment where one of the kids said something like, you know, we all just want everything to go back to normal. And mm-hmm. that's a, that's a pretty powerful feeling. You know, like these, these kids are in a part of their lives where like, it really is big changes are happening. Like it's a really hard time, you know, and they have been basically threatened with death time and time again by these people that they've never done anything to. And that is like not anything close to normal for anybody. So this is their chance to kind of try and live that life, I guess. Well, it's, it was a good end to that episode um, and they're still kind of in their summer, but when we pick up with episode 52, create those ultimate moves, we find out that they're going to spend the last few days of, um, what would have been like their summer vacation. They're going to spend it, um, working on strengthening their quirks. The thing that they were supposed to be, uh, supposed to have done at the summer camp, uh, that came, that was, a, uh, you know, cut a little short and also working on, uh, like, like the title says their ultimate moves. So, uh, a handful of teachers meet them and it's Cementos an ectoplasm and midnight. And I have no, I, I have no idea. I, I'm curious to hear why it is that midnight is on this particular team. Cementos, I get it. And ectoplasm, I get it. But why in the world is midnight on this team? That's all about creating ultimate moves. Like what's her, what's her utility in this? Do you have any ideas? Yeah. So I was thinking, cause at first I had the same thought. I was like, midnight seems like a weird choice to be there, but she is the one that actually brings up that ultimate moves don't have to be an attack that sometimes they're defensive. And so, like, Ectoplasm and Cementos are both offensive characters. Like, 100%, their quirks are for offensive, it feels like. Even Ectoplasm, I mean, with his copy quirk, he's still to some extent offensive just by the way that he fights, right? But Midnight has a completely defensive quirk. She puts people to sleep, or she puts, like, she takes care of people by getting rid of them, essentially. Instead of putting them down, she just makes sure they can't act. So I feel like she's there to help this the kids that have the more defensive quirks. At least that's the way I read it. That's that's kind of the way that I figured it. All right, I'll allow I think it. She, I guess yeah, she's the one that even brings up like uh, Kamui Woods is able to capture opponents because you know he gets in and he's able to use his capturing technique to capture a bunch of people. That's one of his ultimate moves. It's not really offensive, but you know I don't feel like she's going to be out there trying to show Bakugo how to blow somebody up. You know what I mean? True. Okay. Well, they, they explain that uh, this provisional exam that's coming up only has like a 50% pass rate and that they're going to be 
tested on saving people from danger, like from crimes and accidents and disasters, and testing their ability to gather information and make decisions and move and fight and communicate and draw people to themselves and lead. Um, and they basically like, listen, uh, a special move will help you big time in this particular, um, in this particular test and just in general as a pro hero. I think uh, Mount Lady even says something like, the pro heroes that are out there that don't have a special move are a dying breed. Um, and Sato, I really like Sato's definition of it. He says, um, so a, a super move is something that we can do that makes us feel like so long as we can do it, we'll win. I really like that, that framing of it. Um, hmm. yeah, so they, so Cementos sets up, um, a bunch of different elevated spaces so that they can all have their own little arena to work in. And, uh, like you said, ectoplasm creates these clones. So they're all able to, um, practice these potentially devastating uh, super moves on something and it not actually cause any any major damage. So we have a fun uh, few minutes where we get to see some of these pulled off, starting with Mina's. So why don't you walk us through Mina's? Mina's is funny because uh, she's got this like really sad little acid geyser that she's trying to show off to Ectoplasm. And he's like, oh, no, no, do it this way. And he like shows her how to hold her hands. And now it's like this focal point acid laser almost. Like she's got like a pretty good shot, it seems like. And yeah. then once she's able to do that, he's like, okay, now that you can do that, let's make it bigger. You know, like, like let's get how much acid can you produce at once? So it sounds like they're going to work on that. Uh, and then Ectoplasm is also getting on to Ojiro for relying too much on his tail. And this was another moment where I felt bad for Ojiro because he's like, but <laughs> my tail is my quirk. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about Ojira. I completely looked over him. Um, I liked Mina's, too. It was really funny. She was really dramatic. She was like, this is my ultimate move. And I have in my notes, I said, it looks like the saddest Kamehameha ever. Like, if the Kamehameha was one of those fountains of a kid peeing, that's what her her first attempt at a super move looked like. Yep. yep. Um, but it, then it turns into not quite a fire hose, but, you know, one of those hoses that has, like, a jet function on it. That's um, So that's, I mean, and it was improved in, like, two seconds by ectoplasm. So that was pretty neat. It's pretty amazing. I mean, if you think about it, she probably didn't have someone previously tell her, like, you know, you could just do it this way and make it a lot easier. Like, they're, they're learning from some of the best. So I'm willing to bet Ectoplasm has worked with a bunch of pro heroes that have similar quirks to her, I would think. So that's probably one of the reasons they've got some of these teachers here is, like, not only do they know how to handle their quirks, but they've worked with some of the best. So they're going to be able to say, well, your quirk's similar to X, Y, or Z. Who uses it like this? You know? Yeah. I um I was I was proud to discover in this episode that my hashtag uh, campaign hashtag bring the book back was successful. I saw Momo's book is back uh, yep, on her behind it. in this episode, and Midoriya is struggling with this because he's like he knows that his arms uh, they they have expiration dates kind of um, they don't have so many more uses left. So he's he's unsure what he's supposed to be doing. While on the other hand, Bakugo is just blowing up. Uh, ectoplasm clones left and right. He's like, ectoplasm, mine died. Give me another one. I mean, he's just really aggressive, just <laughs> popping these things left and right. Yeah, uh, and I thought I thought it was great too because Midoriya is like staring off to off into space, and one of the clones smacks Midoriya upside the head, and it's just like, stop staring off into space. <laughs> yeah, and that's going to come back to bite him uh, before too long as well. And then you have this this conversation that's taking place, and it's. It's not aggressive. I mean, the kids aren't doing this on purpose, but they start talking about all the super moves that they've been thinking about since they were kids. And Midori is overhearing this, and, like, he hasn't, like, because he just got his, you know? So he's hearing Kaminari and uh, I think Mineta were talking about, yeah, we've had these super moves in mind since we first got our quirks, and, you know, poor Midori is like, 
I just got mine, and he's thinking about it singularly until All Might shows up and tells him that he needs to stop trying to imitate him so much. And, and that's, that's all he said. He's like, you're, you're trying to imitate me. Um, yeah. And you need to move past that. And Midori's like, uh, what? Like, he feels like it's insufficient information for him to be able to do anything. <laughs> yeah, but All Might even makes the mention of, like, I can't give you everything. Like, All Might knows what he needs to do. He just he feels like Midoriya has to learn on his own. So... Yeah, and he goes around, All Might does, to a couple other students and gives some passing pieces of um, information. And that's when Aizawa spots a book in his back pocket that says, even dummies can be teachers, easy education theory. Yeah, I uh, thought that was great. <laughs> I wonder if Nezu wrote that. Oh, that would be interesting. Maybe. I wonder if he did. Because uh, he wrote say that though, crazy I... complex book earlier. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me if that was written by Nezu. I will say, I thought it was really funny when, when All Might first shows up, like, was like, oh, hey, how's it going, you know, and I, uh, poor All Might just says, yeah, I'm here, I've got yeah. the day off and nothing better to do. Like, the most sad I am here I've ever heard. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, so then we kind of move fast forward in the day where Aizawa earlier in the day had been like, hey, you know, as you're working on your super moves, if you need to make any changes to your costume, then go and do that. Like, go see the support staff in the, in the development studio and let them know. Um, so we, we catch up with Midoriya walking down this hallway, and he's talking to himself, and he's like, man, if only there was some sort of brace. And I, I have in my notes, I was like, the, like the one you had in the movie, why isn't this yep. just as simple as a phone call? <laughs> like, That's exactly call up, what I have too. <laughs> call up Melissa and be like, yo, hook me up with some of them braces again. I bet in the time between that movie and now, she could have improved the the thing. So anyway. Yeah, she probably could have made it to where it didn't break. And that's where I, I just have to imagine that that movie's not canon. And that's almost why I don't want to say I hate like one-off anime movies because I love all the Dragon Ball Z movies, but not, almost none of them are canon. And they implement these weird solutions that just don't follow through in the show. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I mean, I get why they had to take it away from them, but... The reason that they had to take it away from him, it, it couldn't. It doesn't necessarily preclude him from being like, "Hey, there is a thing that I know of that exists that could totally do what I need it to," and for right, him to like, get back in contact with Melissa and solve this problem. He could totally set up like an Amazon subscribe and save with Melissa. You know what I mean? Like once a right. month, he gets a couple of those boxes in, and he's all set. But I will say this: he, he gets to he's he's making his way down the hall. Ida and Ochako end up behind him. They're they're kind of talking about what they need to improve on their stuff too and Edith standing at this door and it explodes and we bring back one of my favorite characters who I think is vastly superior to Melissa and that is uh, May Hatsume she's back and it's awesome I'm so glad May she's is back. awesome yeah I'm glad that she made I, I would call it almost a guest appearance in this I don't know if she'll be in any of the future episodes but I like that she shows up and like the door explodes she gets thrown out of the room and she's laying on top of Vandoria and it kind of seems like she's wearing like a low cut shirt so her breasts are falling out a little bit like she's kind of disheveled you know yeah and and Midoriya just wakes up like opens his eyes and that's all he can see and so they draw him with that like crazy like oh my gosh face and then Ochako's freaking out because Midoriya is looking at another girl and you know it's just funny and they all stand up and they're like oh hey may and she's like who are you guys yeah <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is great it's so funny because ida is even like what you don't remember me you literally used me as an advertising board and she goes yep never heard of you <laughs> yeah it, that was that was great ida is immediately upset uh because he's like i'm the one you used as a billboard during the sports festival and she's like oh yeah <laughs> you know and she just kind of blows him off like all right anyway and just yeah. totally writes him off uh, so we get inside of this uh, development studio, and power loaders there as well. And I, did you notice that like there's tools, 
up on the wall, and some of them are woodworking tools. Why are there woodworking tools in a costume shop? I don't know. I mean, maybe like Kamui has wooden features on his costume, so I guess some people might have wood in their costumes. I mean, it, maybe. it makes sense for some heroes, I guess. Yeah, I was just like, maybe what? I could what? just see that as like Power Loader wanting to have something in his office that is his. You know what I mean? Like I could see in his free time, maybe he likes to work on, I don't know, wood. That sounds yeah. weird when I say it, but <laughs> yeah. like, whatever. Yeah, uh, I, I could just see that being something he does in his free time. And, you know, it seemed to me like Hatsume was invading his office. Like, that may have been the development room, but it was just her and him in there. Like, there weren't any other students, so. Right. Um, but she, I mean, he, he goes on in just a second to talk about how great she is at this. So he, I think he puts up with her because of her innovations. Um, yeah, and he kind of describes the way that the costumes work, which is I don't know from I, from someone that loves like technical writing and stuff. I thought I found this really interesting because uh, apparently he has a license to make costumes, so he's allowed to make small changes, but for any kind of major changes, they have to send it in to like professional costume designers who have to sign off on it, and then the government has to approve that yeah. that costume is up to standards, which I like is that. interesting. I did too. I'm like I like I don't know how they. Have have any kind of standardization for these costumes because they all look so vastly different. But I guess it's probably like Bakugo can't have nukes on his arm, right? Yeah. Because I totally could see Bakugo trying to convince Power Loader like, no way, man, like that's my ultimate move. I just got to have a nuke on there. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I really, I, I did take a note on how, how I appreciated the fact that government has a little bit of oversight on these designs. Because otherwise, I mean, you're just giving somebody license to make somebody even more effective slash deadly than they are at base. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that there would be some regulation there. It's Definitely. good. It's just a good little world building detail. You know, it is. And that's what, one of the things I love about this series is how great they do world building in such short, quick, concise ways. Like I feel like a lot of people would probably pass up that whole little segment, but that's just a really cool piece of knowledge that we wouldn't have had otherwise, you know? Yeah, and Ida is here. He, he's just wanting to find something that would reduce the stress on the ligaments on his arms. Those are the things that the doctor told him that if he wasn't careful, that they would be irreparably You're talking about Midoriya, damaged. not Ida, right? Yeah, sorry, Midoriya, Midoriya. And um, May just goes straight into like, here's a mech suit. Like she starts patting him down, which freaks Ochako out even more. And it she puts Midoriya him in this. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, he's uncomfortable with. We, we've gone over his his inconsistencies with his reaction to women, but here it seems very consistent because he's very uncomfortable with the fact that May is like all over him pretty much. Yeah. Um, but she puts him in this mech suit that tries to like twist him in half, basically. Like there's something wrong with it, and so she this turns was, it on. This was 100% out of Iron Man 2. Like whenever the uh, the competing industry in, against Stark Industries is trying to make like their own Iron Man suit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you, do you remember that movie at all? I remember some of it. I don't remember where there was, like, other I'm people to, doing stuff. Yeah, I think it's the Hammer, like, Justin Hammer, is if I remember yeah. correctly. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, I remember that. There's that quick scene of, like, where they're all in the court, and Tony Stark, like, hacks into his computers and his security cameras, and they have this file where they've got an Iron Man knockoff suit that looks just like this. Oh, and yeah. the, the guy that's uh, piloting it, like, clicks a button, and it does a 180 and, like, snaps him in two. And it's exactly okay. what happens to Midoriya. Like, that power suit starts turning, and he's like, oh, turn it off, turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> So then Ida asks, and this is great. Ida is like, he's scared of May and uh, this, this device that she just put on uh, Midoriya. So he like whispers to Power Loader and he's like, yo, 
I just need some new radiators for my legs. And then all of a sudden, May is like slinking up behind him. And she's like, in that case, here's this. And she puts this like super powered gauntlet on his arm. Um, and she presses a button and it shoots him up to the ceiling. And he's just like, but my quirk is on my legs. <laughs> like he's so shocked by this. Well, and she um, says the easiest way to cool off your legs is to just use your arms instead. <laughs> yeah. And this does, I mean, this does provide a little bit of a light bulb moment for, um, for Midoriya. I mean, he's, he starts thinking, overthinking. I mean, it feels like a throwaway line, but for some reason he latches onto it. Um, and it's the most dramatic light bulb ever. Like in the anime, it's like super dra- dramatic, like animation yeah. is he's like, Oh, this gives me an idea. But, um, he, he suddenly turns to Ida and is like, I need you to train me. Like, I need you to teach me some stuff. Um, and so, you know, we, we get another fast forward four days later and Midori has got his braces on some like longer, they look like much longer gauntlets, like gloves that go up past his elbow. Yeah, it definitely looked that way. Like, even Mineta makes a comment of like, yeah, it looks like you updated your suit just a little bit, but you didn't change the base. Because it looks like it's just, the only thing that's really different is that his arms have these, like, uh, almost like elbow pads, like for skateboarders. Yeah. It's up past his elbow. It's like on his, uh, like on his tricep area. Almost, yeah. gloves go up past that. And I do like the reason why. It's just another cool, you know, character moment for Midoriya where he's just like, yeah, I'm not changing my base design. And he has the flashback of his mom being really proud of having bought him his, his hero costume. And I like that. You know, he's still yeah. got mad respect for his mom, even though, you know, recently they had major beef. I mean, for a totally. short period of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's he's still mama's boy, man. I mean, he's he's totally, this is a way that he's, I think we talked about this in a, in a previous episode, that he's kind of honoring his mother just by wearing this thing that, that she had given him. It's kind of like... Um, like a weird version of, or a more platonic version maybe of, you know, the princess like waving a handkerchief and a knight sticking it, you know, in his pocket or whatever when he's going into a joust, some such like that, you know, sure, like in her yeah. honor. I mean, he's always got a piece of his mom right there next to him whenever he's fighting crime. It's it's poetic, really. It is. It is a bit. So we end up back into this area where they are training, and I want to say it was called like TLD or something like that. It had a weird name that I didn't get the reference to. Um, it was um, it was another. I did I did catch this. It was the TDL, and they made a joke in the show where it was like that might make a certain mouse mad at us because TDL is Tokyo Disneyland, and it's just like oh, USJ okay. was you know um, Universal, was, yeah, Studios yeah. Japan. So it's That's now cool. they've they've targeted both uh, major theme parks over there. Okay, I did not get that at all. That's a, that's a cool little insight there. Uh, but we see that Dark Shadow is now working with Tokoyami, and he's got this really cool finishing move or ultimate move that he calls Abyssal Black Body. And it's where this Dark Shadow is encompassing him, just like a suit, and it makes him way stronger and everything. And it's really funny because Midnight is making a point. She's like, you got to make sure that you like what you're calling it because it's, it's really important that it's easy to call out. I just think that's funny. I'm like, why? Why do you need to call out your ultimate moves? It First of all, it makes no sense. It's not like how you activate it. But second of all, if you're fighting a villain and you just all of a sudden burst out with some move name, they're going to know what's coming. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you forget that we're watching an anime and that's totally how this stuff works. <laughs> I guess. It just it kills me. <laughs> I, I will a, say that it looks super cool. It almost it looks does. like Dark Shadow is like an exoskeleton on Tokoyami. It looks yeah. really, really dope. 
Yeah, it's awesome. It's really cool. Uh, and then Bakugo is working on one of his special moves, and it sounds like uh, All Might and Aizawa made the comment that he's working on multiple special moves. Like, that's how far advanced Bakugo is in the class. He's not just trying to figure out one. He's working on several. And he does one that he calls the AP shot, and it's where he uses, like, this really, really uh, condensed, like, blast, and it's an armor-piercing shot, and it shoots right through this boulder. I mean, it's a pretty cool little scene here. Yeah, it's 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 um, it's very focused. He kind of uses his hand, which has those gloves that protect him, you know, from his own explosions, and uses it almost like a funnel or like the muzzle of a gun uh, to kind of as a choke point for the blast that's coming off of his other palm, and so it chokes it down. And I get, I mean, supposedly, I guess that that concentrates it and um, makes it a much smaller beam. So it, it instead of exploding this entire boulder that's in front of him, he just blasts a, a hole right through the middle of it. Yeah, it's basically the uh, uh, special beam cannon. Okay, yeah. That's, that's, not, uh, that's not an unfair comparison there. And this leads up to a great scene where the boulder that he hits is actually like starting to fall away and All Might's standing there in his Jinko jeans form. And he's, I mean, obviously at this point, All Might's super weak. He's a, like a skeleton. In fact, I think we, we might have skipped over it, but there was a scene in the last episode uh, yeah. when he's leaving Midoriya's house and there are a bunch of girls standing on the sidewalk and they're like, who's that skeleton standing next to that kid? <laughs> uh, so he's, he's in a very fragile state. And this is when this boulder is about to land on his head. Midoriya jumps up and kicks it out of the air with this like awesome full cowling like rotating kick and lands uh, and he calls it his one for all full cowling shoot style so this is going to be his new style it looks like like he's going to be a kickboxer now okay but what is shoot style i don't know i mean he's shooting from the hip <laughs> i have no idea i was idea. like what in the world does that stand for like is that like a weird combination of steel and boot like that was the only thing i could come even reasonably close to explaining away why this would be called the shoot style i hadn't actually thought about it until you just mentioned it that does sound weird uh, maybe he should have said the shoe style maybe he just mispronounced it that's what i'm going to go with i don't know it's he doesn't uh, i don't i'm like what what did where did shoot come from it's your foot yeah. um yeah, maybe it's shoe and boot. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It's but I mean, Midori is a very odd kid, right? Like he's he's probably got now that he knows he's gonna have to start using his feet to kick around instead of punching people, he'll probably come up with a thousand cool kick moves and name them all something super strange. Yeah, I mean, but like full cowling we we made some sense of. Shoot style, I'm like, what? Where did that come from? Yeah. But it is what it is. I mean it's 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 shoot style. I mean, I don't I don't have to like the name, I guess, because it looks cool and it does kind of give him a little bit more um, flexibility in combat. Um, so that that'll be good going forward. Um, it does. I will say I'm, I was kind of frustrated with this this bit here though, just because it's not the name that got me. It's the fact that Midoriya, as smart as he is, as analytical as he's been for three seasons, he could not figure this out on his own in just a couple of seconds. Like this just seemed so obvious to me. Right. I mean, and he even makes the comment like, it's so obvious I overlooked it, but I just don't see like, it doesn't fit his character in my mind. Like he is so analytical about everything. There's no way he didn't see some other hero kick somebody and go, Oh, maybe I should do that. You know? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, He gets there eventually, you know, maybe our boy just, uh, just, you know, hasn't, hasn't fully recovered from, the trauma of uh, the battle with uh, what was his name again? Muscular, Mus- muscular, yeah. Who um, I'm still convinced is related to Bakugo. 
Like, I know he's not, but I want him to be so bad. <laughs> That's got to be like Bakugo's mom's second cousin removed or something. Imagine how different <laughs> this show would be if it was what you thought it was. It would be a lot better. <laughs> it would make for, it would be a very interesting topic of conversation. That's what it would be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, Can, more, in, more interesting than it already is. Yeah, I would definitely add a certain uh, depth to the show if I became a writer for my hero, I think. Yeah. The chaos <laughs> element is what it would be. People would be like, what? Where did this come from? Uh, we're, oh. we're struggling with shoot style. And you'd be like, no, no, guys, hear me out. Nezu's like, a bad guy. Right. And Bakugo, just because he looks like this dude, totally related. I mean, um, it makes sense. to Well, so here's another weird thought I had. And I, I, I was meaning to ask you this earlier. Uh, Ida is going to talk to pile driver about like fixing up the radiator in his legs. And it, so it triggered a couple of ideas for me. The first idea is, do you think he has removable radiators and that like his legs are just like his quirk is that he can put those things in his legs or are they built in? Like, is it part of his DNA structure? You know what I mean? I don't know. I kind of thought that it was, it had something to do with his, with the boots that he wears. So you think um, it's part like, of his like costume, like the radiators he's talking about aren't in his legs, but they're part of the costume. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense because I just assumed he was talking about like the engines in his legs, and it made me think: Do you think that Ida has to like stop in at like you know Jiffy Lube and get a quick tune-up? Like, does he get <laughs> oil changes? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think the idea of of him just like laying down on a doctor's table and power loader, like removing a couple screws or even just cutting into his leg, like Terminator, you know, when he's like removing bullets and stuff from him and he cuts out of the cuts through that, like epidermal layer and is messing around with the machinery like that, that, that image doesn't make sense to me in, in context of the show. So I just assumed that the, like the back half of the calf of his boots was like some sort of radiator that drew heat away from, um, where the pipes come out and, uh, and dissipate it elsewhere. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause I know when he uses Reciproco, it like heats up his legs cause he had Todoroki cool them off that one time. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So that's a good point. I, I like, I, I think I'm just overthinking a lot of elements to the show, but like I said, if I was writing it, this would be a whole nother show. Yeah, that's true. I think <laughs> well, Ochako was wanting to get, um, what was her what was her upgrade? What did she want? She just wanted to get something that would help her with uh, more of the motion sickness stuff. We don't I think really so. Get any yeah. Details about it? No, because she doesn't even really mention anything. Like she, I feel like she starts to mention something to Hatsume and then kind of backs off. Like I don't really even want to deal with this chick. Yeah, she's super intimidated by her. Um, yeah, and it wasn't even like earlier. You were like, it's because Bakugo or uh, Midoriya is looking at another girl, and I was like, I mean. It's because he's looking straight up at another girl's boobs. I mean, but he, right, right. in his defense, he couldn't look anywhere else. They were right up in his grill. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and it's not like, I don't know. I've thought that there was some weirdness between Ochako and Hatsume from the moment she showed up on the scene, though, because they worked together uh, whenever they did the uh, tournament. Yep. Yeah, I, I do think that there's some there's some jealousy or at least some, even if, I don't know that, Jealousy is the word. I think there's a threat. I think Ochako perceives Mai as somebody that Bakugo, Bakugo, Midoriya could be attracted to. And I think she she clearly has eyes for the guy, for Midoriya. Absolutely. And so anybody, yeah, well, and I, I mean, she did the same thing in the movie with Melissa. I mean, she was automatically right. standoffish about her. Well, and I think the common denominator there is the fact that these are females that have no problem taking what they want. You know what I mean? And Ochako is very shy. I mean... 
she she does not step up to the plate unless she has to. True. And my, like May Hatsume is not that way at all. I mean, she she does whatever she needs to to get what she wants. And you know, I, I could easily see from a chakra's standpoint, like seeing this other girl and just being like, oh man, like that that chick totally is after the guy I'm into, and you know, she's got the power to do it. So I'm either gonna have to make a move now or not. You know, and then it's not an issue when she's not there, but. But now she is. I mean, Mai's back. And I'm glad she is. I really liked her character a lot. Um, And I think when we were talking about the movie, I said I really wish that support items uh, or or just the people who are making those things played a little bit bigger of a a role in the show. And it seems like we're heading in that general direction. I hope that what we get in this episode isn't all that we get out of her and out of Power Loader and just the idea of like upgrades and support staff. I hope that that piece gets fleshed out a little bit more just because I think it's fascinating. and like I said, I, I really like Mai as a character, so, or May rather. Yeah, I really like her too. And I love the fact that her quirk it fits so well for what she wants to do because she's the one that can see like five kilometers away or something like that perfectly. Right. So I just imagine her sitting in there with power loader, like tinkering on things at like the atomical level, you know? Yeah, she's very neat. I'm, I'm glad she's back. I was, I was surprised by her return um, and elated by it. So I hope she yeah, sticks around. Absolutely. Hope this Absolutely. wasn't just a cameo, man. Don't 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 give me <laughs> don't give me May Hatsume as a cameo. Give me her as a reoccurring character again because she's great. Well, it sounds like we got plenty of more seasons too. I mean, we've only got a couple more episodes in the season, I think, like maybe ten more episodes. Yeah, we're getting down uh, towards the end here pretty quickly. I think last week we were shocked at how few episodes of the Almighty Podcast exist before we have to start knocking on season four's doors. But uh, you know. Onward, onward we progress, and we'll pick back up with episodes 53 and 54 next week. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys. podcast is a production of the back patio network if you enjoyed this podcast please check out our others at backpationetwork.com and don't forget to rate and review us on itunes and check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash back patio network and feel free to hit us up on twitter at at back patio net or at almighty pod we'd love the chance to talk with you